Such an honor, man. Thank you, bro. Really, really a pleasure to, to have you on and talk today. Yeah, I love doing this stuff. It's really, it gives me a chance to, uh, to try to uplift the community more and to share information with everyone, you know? Oh, I'm, I'm excited. This is, I mean, I've, you're amazing. So I've actually had a couple interactions with you in the past because of conventions and stuff. Going back to uh, 2017, I think, in Vegas at a Champs, and then even here recently at a Champs. And that's one thing I love about you is you're you're just so friendly and you're so in the community that, that you take time with anybody and everybody. And so that yeah, I really I, a Champs show is a great is a lot of fun for me because I get to I get to talk to the individual store owners and like yeah. and I get to and I learn the impact. What, what, here's one of the reasons I love Champs. People are excited to see me. A lot of the customers because I've helped them succeed so much. So it's like a wonderful thing where they're coming up to me and thanking me. And I'm just like, you're welcome. This is awesome. It's like, the, you know, the thing I always say is we all get hired together, right? Because it, when you're able to help them succeed and they succeed and they uplift you and they bring you with them. And it's like this kind of like this, like a, like a family reunion. It is. Well, in the cannabis community, if you really get into it, it's a very tight knit community. Once you start in the family, there's two different sides of it now that we start seeing as we go. There's now the new kids in cannabis that they just got into it because it's cool and they have money. But yeah. the other side of it, you know, if you go back to Champs when it first started years ago to what it is now, two completely different conventions, you know, the people that were showing up, some of these legacy operators that we're going to talk about today were very active in that space doing their thing at those and, and at other events and stuff across California and Colorado and Oregon, Washington, underground events. And that's the side of cannabis that I love. It's like the family side. It's the people that have been there all along that are working together to bring this amazing plant that does so, so much healing. You know, so many people have experienced that. I have my personal experiences with it. Oh, wow, yeah. And it just, it needs to be out there and people need to have access to it. And it's still, you know, it's amazing that the legalization that we have now, but there's still a lot of things that are being done wrong. And yeah. uh, it's education needs to be done. So that's that's what we want to talk about today. So first off, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you and and Raw, what you guys have done and the amounts of giving that you guys do. Um, we'll talk about it the that at the end. You guys have given away a lot, you know, for for funding, uh, for education in the cannabis industry and just other humanitarian efforts. And so thank you for that. One thing that what I want to talk about today is the Justice Foundation. Yeah, and that's really exciting. Awesome. So, uh, first off, just tell our listeners a little bit about the Justice Foundation, and and I could read it off and tell them about it, but I would like to hear it from you. What is the Justice Foundation? Well, the, okay. Now, there's the Justice Foundation, and there's the Justice Foundation of what we're doing together. They are all about. Like, they were. The, we talked to many different organizations before we settled on the Justice Foundation. I mean, of course, you got Steve D'Angelo who brought us in. Yes. What we were trying to do is something that we couldn't do with anyone else, which is we wanted to give money away in a way that it helped people like me that had a former conviction succeed in the cannabis industry. That was really the goal because I wanted to create more Joshes, more people yeah. like this, more people that had had fought the fight back in the 90s, back in the early 2000s when there was still a, there was still a fight to be had now, but back then mm -hmm. it was freaking brutal. Yes. And I wanted to bring to, to help people like that that had didn't have the opportunities and the luck. A lot of it was luck that I had to succeed. So what better way than to come up with what we what they named the fellowship, right? Which is to don't to we, we give them a hundred grand and they'll divvy it up in ways to help people succeed. Hey man, you want to go start a cannabis business? Here's some money and some advice to help you succeed. Very simple, very simple concept. 
very difficult to do, as we've learned. And this was just the first one. We want to keep doing this. With the education, that was one thing you uh, that you mentioned, and I know that you're big on. How are you guys educating? What's the education supplies, if you will, or the advice that you're giving to the, to these legacy operators? Because to define a legacy operator is, is what you said, someone that has a prior uh, conviction or felony or just interaction before it was legal in the cannabis market. And I love that term, legacy operator. Those guys, a lot of them were running very successful businesses, even though it might have not been legal, uh, and having great influence into their local communities even. Yeah. Nothing was based on violence. Nothing was based on threats. It was just supplying a product that was needed. And that product just so happened to be cannabis. And I'm, I support it. I think that we need those type of people in this industry. That's what's going to help push this to where it needs to go. But how do we get them in there and how do we educate them and how to move and operate in a legal market? It's it's really just a matter of, if someone really is a true legacy operator, they're already showing you that they're an entrepreneur. They've already shown you that they have the business acumen and everything that's needed to truly succeed. They just need some information, assistance in applying for the right licenses, some legal guidance, things along that nature. It's not that difficult. And they need encouragement. Now, they're not used to running a cash register and things like that. That's where the Justice Foundation is helping teach these people the right way, the way that is legal now. And that's what a lot of this is about. In addition, though, you also need some seed capital, which is why we were calling this raw seeds. I think it's not that difficult. I believe that the true legacy operators, all even if they don't realize it, they already have almost everything they need to succeed in the legal market other than a few key things. And we just want to provide those few key things. Really, if you meet these guys, and I know you have, these legacy operators, they are I mean, these are some really smart, serious entrepreneurs that are deeply tied to their community with strong roots, much stronger than than a local dispo, you know, because they talk to their customers, they interacted with them one-on-one -on -one and really understood their needs and understood their community because they lived in the community. So my experience with them is that these are the guys you want in the cannabis industry. These are the guys you want selling selling cannabis products in your local community because they are part of your local community for real. They helped yep. build it. They were the soldiers that fought the battle to get us to where we are now. And they deserve to, they deserve the spoils, man. Nobody deserves to succeed more than these legacy operators, in my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Now, you guys recently chose through the Raw Seeds Fellowship, three entrepreneurs. They each received $20,000. One was from Hawaii, one was from Jersey City, and one was from Brooklyn. How did you guys go about choosing those three specific people? And then, and then what is the, the pathway for them with that $20,000? What are they going to be using that money for? Okay. So now in order to make it where it was completely fair, I removed myself from the selection process. I only explained to them what, 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 we, what I was hoping for. And then I left it to Steve D'Angelo and the whole team there to decide who would be the, right, the best recipient for it. They know it better than I do. And I don't want to be picking favorites. I, I don't know enough, you know, whereas they do. They've been boots to the ground for a long time. So they used their selection process. They decided who they felt needed it the most and had the greatest chance of succeeding based on asking the right questions. And based on that, they select those three people. And then they also gave additional smaller grants to other operators as well. So I really wanted to leave it with them. It's the same kind of thing I do in business, by the way, which is it's called Auftrag's tactic, where you simply give people a goal and then you give them some tools and you say, okay, there, it's up to you now. Because humans, we are much better at doing things. We, we don't need the kind of, we don't need to be micromanaged. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> and just the foundation is really good at what they do. And I just wanted to give them a little, just my goal was simply to encourage them to do things that way, to do this process, to do this project, and then give them the money and let them do it their way. And then of course I, I opened myself up to the actual people that received the grants or I've let them know. And if you want to talk to me, if you want to, let's, let's start talking as you go through this, I'd love to give you advice. I would love to help you. I'm in communication with one of them right now. I'll be having a meeting with him tomorrow. I think it's tomorrow. I mean, sure, ideally I make a new friend as well, but my goal is I want to see him succeed, man. There's nothing better that we can do when we succeed than to help others succeed too, especially when they're people that really, truly deserve it. And legacy operators, there's no one I have more respect for as the legacy operators in our industry. What is that motivation from for the legacy operators? What prompted you to give back to this cause? Why is it so deep to you? I went through my own lovely out with the feds in the nineties, man. And, and what I learned from all that was the Karens of the world are going to pick on you for the rest of your life. They won't stop. Even when cannabis is legal, they'll still pick on you for it. I mm-hmm. still get picked on in articles when people are trying to, to do a hit article on me, they will still bring up my conviction for selling bongs in the nineties <laughs> as if I'm this bad person. I swear to God, they did it not that long ago in an article. I'm reading it. So I'm like, Oh, come on, man. That was fucking re- really good. Oh, God. Yeah. How awful Josh is. He sold a bong. What a he man. He sold God. a bong. Oh, man. Stop it. Like, <laughs> but, they, but they still do it. And that ridiculousness of my old conviction from the 90s is no different than the ridiculousness of someone who got in trouble for selling cannabis in the 90s or the 2000s. It's that whole thing of making a plant illegal, yeah. a harmless plant, really, is... Yeah. The whole thing is preposterous. It's ridiculous. And I really, truly feel in here what the legacy operators have been through. Because in a way, I'm a legacy operator in a way too, you know? Yeah. And I'm an OG just like they are. And I understand what they've been through. And I know how much it hurts. And I was lucky enough to be able to come through it on the other side much better than when I went into it. And I want them yeah. to as well. And I know they can. I know they can. I know these people are because in a way, I'm one of them, you know? So... If that helps it, if that explains it, I think it does. I want them to succeed just like I want myself to succeed. And I know they've got it. No one's got it better than they do in terms of skills and ability. And they can kill it, man. Just watch it. They definitely can. Well, I mean, the the legacy market or the illicit cannabis market right now is still massive. Uh, in, in the US, roughly 75% of the $100 billion cannabis market is illegal. And then in California, statistics shows that two out of every three purchases are made on that illicit market. So with that much presence still with the amount of states that have legal cannabis on, on, on the books, whether that's medical or recreational, that's still, they're missing out on a lot. And that's these legacy operators are the one that is still running this successful business venture. Yeah. I mean, with all that, we're, we're, we're allowing them to get picked on again by, by, yeah. by, by cops one way or another. And I don't want that to happen. Yes, we are. So yes. I, I want to bring them all into the legal space. I just want to yeah. bring them in the right way. Because it really is not because I'm, oh, I'm such a supporter of legal space. It's simply that I don't want my guys, my people getting picked mm-hmm. on anymore. I want them well, all. I, and the only way that can happen is with bringing them into the legal space. And how has that not been recognized? You know, with all the potential revenue that if you looked at it on a business model, that's the best way to understand the American government is look at it as a giant business. Don't look at it as a form of government. It's just a You're giant right. business. And so with all that potential revenue being taken away, why hasn't the legal market and the control boards actually recognized what these legacy operators are able to do and joined with them to help curb these illicit sales. Why haven't they given back? We'll be like, okay, you know what? Maybe we should need to bring you guys in and that'll help us win this battle. 
Well, part of it is going to be lobbying by by people that are already in the legal space in some you know some large corps that don't like any of us, you know. Mm-hmm. And those guys are going to want these legacy operators to remain to get to locked up because if they get locked up, they're no longer a competitor, you know. That's there's one piece of that going on. Wow. Um, but then you have uh, you know there's so many people that are anti cannabis, and the easiest thing for them to pick on is legacy operators as well, you know. I think part of it also is our human nature. The thing that you said is very altruistic and it's the way that you think is the way that I think, you know what I mean? Let's work with them. Let's bring them in. We will make more revenue. But too often we are more about crime and punishment. No, let's scare them. Let's pass stronger laws to make it where they go to jail forever and have their fingers cut off. Like, yeah, stop it. Yeah, just bring these people in, man. They're, they're humans just like you and me. So I think you and I approach it more from a place of empathy and love and understanding and other people approach it from a place of anger and maybe these people are my competitors crush them all which is like okay cool thanks bro that's great i you definitely i definitely see that i definitely see that there's a lot of for years people always talk about you know with the war on drugs and people would all sometimes mention the reason why cannabis isn't illegal or isn't illegal is because of big pharma well now you do see a switch of several pharmaceutical companies getting into cannabis and that over the last few years since they've started filing patents and and doing new research on on new drugs and you know i like seeing it but also at the same time some of these are just completely synthetic and i don't like synthetic stuff oh no like, no no not i like the plant man i like the yeah. plant that's all you need bro it's just it's all right there just figure out how to use it there's there's amazing cannabinoids in there and yeah i i'm for i love I love science. I do like science. I have some friends that are great in a laboratory that can isolate certain cannabinoids. I remember the first time back in 2016, I had a friend uh, that gave me a pure CDN cartridge and I slept so good. Yeah, like a billion me, man. That's awesome. Oh <laughs> God, it was amazing. And so I love that part of it, but that's not changing the plant. That's just taking Isol- out what is there, isolating one part of it, you know? But it's interesting to see that since there has been a lot of pharmaceutical companies starting getting in, now we have seen a lot more progression. And I think that's a very true statement of what you said is it's just snuffing out the competition. But there's certain states that are kind of doing a good thing. You know, uh, there's social equity is a word that's tossed around very loosely in this industry because some states, they say, oh, we have social equity. And you look at it, I'm just going to say it, it's still a bunch of rich old white men that own it. Hard, hard fact to say. But then there's some states that actually are doing the right thing, we hope. At least they say so on paper. So we have we have to look and, and wait, and time will tell. One of those states is New York. So New York, if you talk about their illicit market, the legacy market, operators are expected to capture over seven billion dollars of revenue between 2023 and 2030. But the the New York adult use market has started progressing very quickly. I was out there last year. Um, and I think it was in November, December last year. It was crazy to me to walk around. Like I stayed at the Hard Rock Hotel there in Times Square and every single night at 10 o'clock, this food truck truck pulled up in front of the Hard Rock, but it was a weed truck. And I was like, yeah. what is this, man? This is crazy. Um, and so they're they're pushing it out there. I mean, I walked through Chinatown and that was, that was just something else with all the tables set out and everything. So you can see that they're struggling to curb the illicit market. There was like over, was it over 1,200 unlicensed dispensaries that had popped or shops, bodegas that had popped up and everything. There was a talk then that I heard. I remember seeing an article that they're like, well, New York might be one of the first states to do a massive licensing and actually allow some of these people to stay in. 
And when I started reading into their social equity licensing model, I was actually quite impressed where, you know, they're wanting 51, I think it's like 51% of the licensees. They want to be two people that would meet the social equity, whether that's legacy operators or different minority groups, uh, women. Let's talk about that really quick because you're from Manhattan. That's where you grew up. You're born there. So what do you know about the New York market and are they doing things positively like they say they are on paper with the social equity? I haven't seen them do enough at all. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I wish they were. You know, there's so much infighting that's been going on where, you know, people are like, well, not, they don't just want people that had cannabis conviction. I was a veteran, therefore I should I should also have that. Mm. And yeah. I, while I completely respect their position, for me, I'm like, well, you're a veteran, but you're not a, a drug war veteran, which is different than a, you know, different types of veterans um i said i can tell you my experience i walked down you know i, I live near um near union square right and uh so i walked out over to union square to go to the market there'll be people usually set up there with tables and they see me and they, they're all excited to see me and i'm all excited to see them they don't get it because i'm like dude i'm so excited to watch to see these entrepreneurs to see the people that are actually willing to take the risk standing up there and all their different methods of of, of selling their product and I have such respect for them. Now, if 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 it was more if it was more of an open license, where that person could spend a reasonable amount of money and have a reasonable compliance method, and they make that table that they set up there instead of just being an outside table, now they can actually get a table in the market. You know, they would do it in a freaking second, man. Because you're going to get so yep. many more customers. Your customers are going to be are going to feel more comfortable buying from you. And it's, and you're, you're you have so much less risk. So, an open market, one where it's easier to get a license, where it's easier to comply, where the things are reasonable, I believe that benefits us all. The only people that it doesn't benefit is mega cannabis, who would prefer that that it's impossible to get a license. They have to spend a billion dollars because then they get to, they're the only ones who can do it. I, I've seen the same thing. My background, a lot of it is in the tobacco industry, and I see the same thing in the tobacco industry. They made it more and more difficult to to legally be a part of the tobacco industry, so that mega tobacco, mega giant big tobacco, would mm-hmm. capture the bulk of the market, and they did. And I believe that they are trying to do. And I, what do I know? But I think they're trying to do the same thing with cannabis, where if it's extremely expensive to comply, then who can comply, other than a really really rich guy? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. bullshit. Sorry. That's bullshit. No, no, you're good. No, you're good. Arizona is a prime example of that. I have friends in Arizona, friends with the normal, the heads of the normal group down there and 127 dispensaries, I think in the entire state of Arizona, but everything boils down to eight individuals. Yeah. Out of all the grow ops, all the dispensaries, all the extract labs, everything boils down to eight individuals. Now that's a monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) like i mean and it's and you said it's it's super expensive the the paper just to get the sheet of paper to do the license is estimated in arizona right now between six and eight million dollars yeah and that's just the first step how is one of these legacy operators supposed to take a what they've been (laughs) ridiculed and crucified for most of their life fighting an uphill battle and now they're just supposed to be able to come out and oh and by the way when you you know when you pay now this legal market, you have to verify funds and stuff. I, I mean, I've experienced with that. We're working out here in Las Vegas with the with new cannabis consumption lounges and stuff. It, it's a business now. 
you know, it's, you can't just come in with, you know, so it's, Hey, it's I just want to remind anyone who's, who's listening to this. It's just a freaking plant, man. It's just a plant. It's just a freaking plant. Come on. <laughs> let's be, let's be honest for a moment. Yeah. Like, it's just a fucking plant. We can grow it ourselves if you let us mm-hmm. and teach us in different ways. It's just a plant. Whatever regulations there are for tomatoes and potatoes, that should be the same thing for this plant. Yep. It's like, come on. Oh, but it's dangerous. Yeah. Okay. You keep telling me that. You know, I can grow angel's trumpet, which is a deadly, deadly plant, but Mm -hmm. I can't grow one that's not deadly. I messed my back up really badly recently and I'm, I'm on so much CBD that it's crazy. (laughs) I'm like, it's like. Guys, it's, it's a really helpful plant. Because yeah, can we, can we just admit that for a moment before we talk about making people spend eight billion dollars just to get a piece of paper that says they're allowed to to sell a plant? It's ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous. Thank you for saying it's a plant, man. It's a plant, man. I've been saying it forever, and thank you for saying it. If we just, it needs to be like the, like you said, like a like a tomato, like a potato. Potato. I mean, the tobacco you can have, is actually harder to deal with. I've grown tobacco. I've grown it for years. You have to cure the tobacco in a way that's a pain in the ass. I got to heat sweat. I got to do these things to it. Cannabis is so much easier than tobacco. So much easier. And the less poisonous and toxic and so much. But yet I can grow all the tobacco I want, but I can't grow fucking cannabis. Like, come on. Right. Oh, you're allowed to plant. It's like, oh, thanks, buddy. How many tobacco plants am I allowed? As many as you need for your person. Oh, thanks. Let's talk about that. So certain states, Ohio, on November 7th of this year, they finally went adult use. And so on December of this year, there I think it's December 7th, they're actually can make the first, per, or I don't know if it's purchases, because I don't know if any dispensaries will be open for recreational yet, but you can start possessing and stuff. They kind of followed in the pathway of uh, California in New York. They're allowing six plants per person. Like, that's cool and all, but I mean, like you said, come on, man, just six plants. <laughs> like someone as a medicinal user, like I need to grow a lot more and I have to keep it in rotation so that way I can keep my supply up because, you know, I might need for edibles. I might for topicals. I might need for, you know, smoking. So it's just quit the regulation on it. Let's so, talk yeah. about, and then it, what, what defies a plant? Then you get that whole fight that's been going on for a seedling. Well, see, it's, you know, come on, man. Come on. Stop. We're still trying to regulate a plant. A very yeah. simple, easy, beautiful plant that can help save so many of us. And anyone who the plant has not helped yet, at some point in their life, the odds are they're going to be wishing they had that plant. We yeah. all get hurt. We all get old unless some, you know, something happens. And as that as that occurs, you need this plant can really help you one way or another. Yep. And you're going to wish you hadn't said, I've met so many people. I've met federal judges who wish they could undo sentencing laws is what they said to me. I wish I could undo the sentences of what, I, of what I've done to other people. I've heard things like this in my life. And it's like, well, then you can, you can have a voice. You can have a voice. You, as yeah. a, you can have a voice. You can go out and speak on it. You know, I wish some of these people would. If a, if a, if a prior federal judge came out and if they do, they multiple, do. they do say these things. They say they, they do. They, they go, yeah, they do. Because what happens one of them fell down in a, an escalator say, and, and they get really, really hurt and they had to retire from judging. And then he ended up, what do you think helped him? So yeah. it's, it's, um, there are all these stories and maybe not all of them are true. So don't hold me on any of them. But there are all these stories and all I do is hear them and hear them and hear them and meet these people and t- they tell me their stories. And I'm just like, wow, I could, I could, t- I could share with you a quick Jack Harris story. How about that? Yeah. I'd love it. This is something that Jack said to me and it's all from memory. So it's the telephone game. <laughs> what Jack told me was that he believed the spread of humanity followed the spread of hemp, right? So in the Rift Valley of Ethiopia, somewhere like that, where we all came from, 
we spread following the spread of hemp because when we were hunter gatherers, a lot of what we were gathering was hemp, but we were surviving off of hemp seed. And the hemp seed happens to have this incredible amino acid profile and like the almost perfect ratio of protein to carbohydrate to fat and the right type of fat, the three, six, nine, everything that we supposedly need as humans is in that seed and that plant. So it is, and Jack would say to me, Josh, it isn't that something. He, by the way, Jack was the kind of guy when he talked to you, he would hit you in the chest like that the whole time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jack would be yelling me saying, it's not that that some aliens came down here and put down this perfect plant for us. It's because we adapted to eating that plant, Josh. And I'd be like, oh, 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 you know? Wow. So that's, that's when I, so, and because, and this that my personal belief as well now in all this, and I realized that, hey, this is perfect for us. We need this. It's a great food source. It's so great for medicine, all these things. And it isn't because this is some something that aliens brought down to help us. It's because we adapted to it. We have been connected to that plant since we've been us. And so it's just part of us, man. And just accept that and believe it or not. And you understand why it's so important that this plant be allowed to grow as freely and openly as possible. Uh, a great, a great, we could invite this Jack, dude. That guy was freaking <laughs> awesome. He was that awesome. <laughs> oh man, I went. I wish I could have met Jack Herrera. I wish I could have met some of the people like that. I never, I love listening to the stories. I love listening to some of the podcasts or just some of the interviews of those guys and the passion that yeah, they said. Oh man, the strength. Oh, steadfast belief and courage. That's how I would define that guy. Yeah. Another person I would have loved to meet was Rick Simpson. I didn't. I had a crazy, when I was a kid and I never realized until I got older when I was a, a uh, like, nine ten years old my uh my step-grandpa uh he was living, married to my grandma they lived in colorado he had skin cancer i remember as a little kid living in colorado he would get like these uh, ulcers or like you know things on his skin and he would put this dark sticky black colored oil on it that smelled kind of weird and like <laughs> if you got it on your clothes it stained your clothes so don't mess with grandpa's medicine and it would help it go away and I remember that he like didn't go to the doctor for this. He had to go to this special guy and the special guy went away for a while and grandpa got really sick and then he was able to find a new guy. And I, and then as I got older, I was like, wow, that was cannabis oil that was yeah. cheering him, yeah. you know? And so I, I love, I love that. I want to ask something right here. So with, we're talking about the legacy operators, we're talking about social equity. Do you think that any of this is being funded correctly with all the different programs that are out there and stuff? If we actually really look at it, do you think anything is actually being funded correctly? People are actually being educated correctly to allow them to have a difference in this market? Well, anything is too, that's too freaking cool. I can say that in my experience is a lot of it is not. If you put Josh in charge of the market, which you don't want to do, uh, it, it, I, I love small entrepreneurs, right? So I would love to see a market where it was like each human individual through corporations or any kind of bullshit method can only have one, maybe two stores, period. And that way it breaks this whole thing of eight individuals controlling an entire state. Mm -hmm. I would, I'd, I love individual entrepreneurs. I believe in it so strongly and that, cause it, and a, it's no different than a legacy operator. It's the same thing. Because now you have one, maybe two dispensaries in a community where you live 
and you know your customers inside and out, you understand every little thing. Your guy comes in here, you know his needs, man. You've been selling to the same guy forever. You're really part of it, you know? And you're helping him in a way that that a giant mega Walmart can't do. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you put me in charge of it, I'm going to be like, yeah, I, I think the, the as a government, sure, if you want to regulate it to make sure that it's tested, good for you. That's cool. Have normal regulations, ones that are not too stringent to the point where sometimes they put forth certain regulations, which I think are meant to make it where you can't sell the plant. You put forth normal regulations. Your job should collect some fees. And then your job as a government is to help these businesses succeed by education, by making sure that they understand, by making sure that they truly help the community. That's your job. Because in the end, we're trying to help human beings here. We're sure maybe you'll be lucky enough to make some money, lots of money as well. But your first job is to help the community. There's a reason why we enjoy cannabis. There's a reason why we need cannabis. Let's start there. Just start right there and work backwards. Who's the best person to do that? Well, maybe someone who knows you. Maybe someone who lives in your in your area, who knows what it's like to be in your area where things are particularly dry and can help sell it to you in a way and in a container that makes it where you could actually keep it at home. Maybe he knows that the last stuff you had, you told him was dry and there or had a problem with, and therefore he's now adjusting it for you. He's getting direct feedback from his community and making the product better for them. That's wonderful. That guy who sold your uncle the cannabis bomb, the, the Rick Simpson oil, maybe, that guy knew your uncle better than any Walmart ever will. And that's what still needs to exist. <laughs> you know, yes. I see it's yes. not working on you. Let me give you something else. You still have that pain in your elbow. Try this other CBD bomb. That one's not working. Okay, it's getting on your clothing. Let me give you this this other type that absorbs faster. Let me add some menthol to it. Let me, you know, this this is the way it should be. It should be more of like you and me, not yeah. me and you fighting against Walmart. I love that. I love the holistic part of it. With there is some some education. New York launched a cannabis compliance and training mentorship program earlier in the year where they're supposed to learn some of the stuff, but I feel like maybe they just missed the mark. And some of the, some of the people that completed the 10 week program, they had mixed feelings on it when they came out. And so they, I think they really just look at it too much on that business side and those operations. And they're leaving out that, that personal touch. Is that a, anything that we can bring in without these legacy operators? Cause I don't see any way that we can bring in that personal touch. If you're just looking at big business coming in. Well, the big business will tell you that they'll do it, that they'll hire um, bud tenders that'll connect with the community, but it's just not the same as a, as a business that you own and you're there, uh, you know, where you put your, where I used to sleep in my store the first store I ever had in 93, I slept in there. So mm-hmm. when, when th- that tells you how deeply tied to the community you are, <laughs> you know, you're, you're literally living in the store. So you're not going to get that from a, uh, you're not going to get the bud tender living in the store and just go back to our human nature. If it's your shop and your customer that comes in that door. And you're, you really truly believe in your heart. You've been doing this for so long. You already probably know everything about that customer from before he even, before he even talks to you, or you probably have a guess at least. And when they talk to you, it just solidifies or maybe changes your mind a little bit. What are you looking for today? Are you trying, like, is this, is this for day? Is this for night? What are you feeling? What are you trying to do? You know, talk to you for a second and I'll help you out, man. That's the way it should be. I don't think that a New York state government or an organization can teach that so well. 
you know, could teach it is legacy operators. Maybe if they were trying to teach this to some of the, um, to some stores, but since they already know it, I'd rather just have them have their own stores already. Now, justice and places like that do help out with educating some of these people and teaching them and helping them. There are some organizations out there, but they need to be independent like that. I don't think the government can, they haven't, they don't do a good job at so many things. And I don't think they're going to be, do, they're going to do a great job of teaching you. Okay. Today, I'm not going to arrest you. Instead, I'm going to teach you how to, a camera, man. Like, no, uh, no, yeah, it's no work like that. No, instead, they're going to teach you how to comply because that's what governments do is how do, how do you comply with our cannabis laws? I'm going to teach you how to comply. I'm going to teach you to make sure that you don't accidentally underpay us our fair yes. share. I'm yeah. going to teach you that, you know, this, that, whatever. But it's not going to be like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to connect with your customers and they come in and make sure they have a better experience. That's what we're going to do today. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think they're capable of that. I wish they were, man. That would be great. We'd live in a different planet, but we'd also probably also have Santa Claus. And that would be. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about they just give us our, our cannabis and let it be free? Yeah, yeah. Let, yeah, let, yeah. It, let it grow freely. Let us trade it at farmer's markets and let those guys who grow yes. heirloom tomatoes grow heirloom cannabis. Because by the way, that's a whole other conversation is now those people are quitting cannabis and people are, the rumors on the street are that there are, these people are quitting it because the cannabis is not the cannabis that, that it once was. I mean, no. we're not talking about 70s cannabis, which was, we're not talking about that. When we breed and 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 cross and grow, I don't think people realize that in a way we are GMOing. Yes, we are. And by doing that, you're kind of effing with nature, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, can I get some old some school chem dog? Yeah, exactly. Some old school Durban poison. OG, man. Oh, Come on, give me something. Come on, give me some, let's go further back. Yeah, Bubba, let's Bubba Kush. Yes, yeah. Let me get some some lavender. Let me get some original yeah. bowl. Yes, please. As we go deeper and deeper into this, like at first it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But we're kind of, people are having supposedly stronger reactions. Oh, the red yeah. art. Man, it's the joy of having a chihuahua. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, we didn't get very excited. <laughs> This also comes down to, to legacy because the legacy guys also know when, when, when you're dealing one-on-one with people, you get more of an idea for what they reacted to better, or had a better experience with, and you can have better server. Mm-hmm. Yep. The guest I had on and a personal friend, Brandon Barberio, he's out in, from out in Arizona, but he legacy operator and he had dealings with the, the guys that created, you talked about Bubba Kush. He was with them when they created the pre-98 and then the Bubba Kush. And we were talking, I had him on the show. We had the pleasure. I had a pleasure to sit down and do a face-to-face interview with him, which I wish I could have done with you to share a raw paper with the founder of raw. That would have been amazing. Some of those heirloom strains that they're sitting on, they have vault, you know, they have their seed vaults. They have some of these old school strains and that, you know, they're just, they don't want to give them away because of what you just said of all just the crossbreeding and it just ruins the strain. And so- I'd love for some of that to come out. Love what you guys are doing. Thank you for being you and thank you for the humanitarian side and just the human empathy that you have as yeah. a person in this big business. You, you've crossed multiple planes from big tobacco into into cannabis and you bridge that gap and you still stay so down to earth, which is quite rare in, in some of today's people that you meet. We talk about, we talked about the beginning, the way champs has changed over even the years. Yeah. You can see that, you know, so thank you for staying true to who you are. Thank you for taking the time to talk today and and letting your voice be heard. And, you know, I support it and I hope our listeners do as well. And uh, so I know that for the Justice Foundation, uh, it's very easy if people want to donate or, or learn more about that, they can just text Legacy Love to 801 801. Is there anything for 
for the humanitarian sides on raw that that people can do well no we don't want their help we just want to help (laughs) that's beautiful then okay yeah yeah if they want to read about it they can we have rawgiving.com if you want to read about it but we're, we're just trying to encourage people to give back in their own way well josh i appreciate you coming on today and spending time and telling us about your passion for the legacy operators and i hope our listeners can just share that same passion and realize that you know, we don't need big business. We don't need big pharma. We don't even need the the government control on it. We just need to let the people that have been doing it for years continue to give back to their community and not get persecuted for it. So I thank you so much for your vision and, and just your time today. Have a great day. Well, hey, thank you for thank you for taking the time today. And thank you for sharing your passion. I really appreciate it. Hopefully one day we can meet again face to face and then now we'll have a little bit more of a personal connection and I can finally share that raw paper with you. 